Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. the battery power podcast network i'm chris willis and i'm again joined by my good friend Stephen talbert Stephen, how you doing tonight what's up chris it's um kind of a bummer that we're recording as the braves are getting beat by max scherzer again but it's been a really good week overall Just one eight in a row got back into the division race this game notwithstanding but um yeah good to be back on got another fun episode tonight yeah it's just a reminder that um no matter how many times this season's declared over, it's not over until, you know, they're mathematically eliminated. I mean, everything was about as bleak as it could be coming out of that Met series. And then they went out and uh, wheeled off eight straight wins, including the first two over New York. So uh, it's not looking too good right now. We knew it was going to be tough for Mike Scherzer. And and then, of course, Jacob DeGrom tomorrow. But, you know, there's, there's still a lot of baseball left to play. So, you know, I think it's important to keep her, keep perspective. Yeah, and you know this matchup on paper was probably the worst of the weekend or of the week. You know we don't. I guess we don't know for sure who's pitching tomorrow. I think the general consensus is it's going to be Max Fried, but you know Max Scherzer versus Jaco Derizzi on paper is about as bad as it gets for these two teams. So, and just to illustrate that point, you know the Braves had won eight in a row. They were playing at home. They're the hottest team in baseball, and. The Mets were pretty heavy favorites coming into this game. That just shows you how kind of lopsided the starting pitching matchup was tonight. So I wouldn't fret about it too much if I was if if you're out there listening, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Yeah, um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, this thing turns around while we're recording. So, uh, but we're we got other things to talk about tonight as well. Uh, pretty notable story last night. Um, one of the few times that I can remember uh, a, a transaction leaking uh, before it uh, was actually announced, but uh, we found out about in the eighth, around the seventh or eighth inning, um, uh, Tuesday night, that uh, Michael Harris and the Braves were getting close to an eight-year uh, extension, and shortly after the game was over, the Braves went ahead and ex- announced that. So Michael Harris, eight-year extension, seventy-two million dollars. It's con- it contains a, a two uh, team options, one for fifteen million, one for twenty million, and both of those have five million uh, buyouts on them. Um, pretty pretty team friendly deal. I thought I thought it was pretty shrewd of them to get him locked up as as fast as they could. Uh, but what did you think? I mean, what was uh what was your reaction? I know we had we talked a little bit in Slack and we were speculating on on uh, the dollar amount, but uh, I think it come out a little lower than uh, what we were expecting. 
Yeah, I mean, my my immediate reaction was, I don't know how they keep doing this where they're able to lock up their young stars at, you know, incredibly team-friendly rates. You know, the it's interesting if you if you look at the Chicago Cubs and their rebuild and kind of how they built themselves into a World Series contender, that whole thing came crashing down specifically because they could not get their core locked up. And all of them slowly got to either they left in free agency or they got close enough to free agency where the Cubs had to trade them away. This Braves, I'm going to call it, you know, you might not be able to use the dynasty word yet, but kind of this Braves era, this Anthopolis era has had the exact opposite happen where every, it seems like every time the Braves get a young star, they're able to lock them up. It does speak to the culture that the Braves have created. I mean, they, they are going to be contenders every year and, and players know that. You know, I think it also is a compliment to Brian Snitker and the kind of manager he is and the kind of clubhouse that he creates that, you know, these guys want to be here and they want to be around. and They're even willing to take, you know, a little less money to make that happen. And I do want to get something clear because there's, there's always confusion when this stuff comes up that, you know, if you call a deal a team-friendly deal, then that means there, there was no reason for the player to take it. And that's, that's way too binary of an outlook on this kind of stuff. There's always nuance that always gets lost. And, you know, there, it is very possible for there to be completely valid reasons for Michael to take this deal while at the same time it being a team-friendly deal, right? So, you know, Michael gets life-changing money. Regardless of what happens the rest of his career, he's set, right? His family is set. His kids are set. His grandkids are set, regardless of what happens. And when somebody offers you that at 21, you know, I don't know how many people are turning that down. But at the same time, this is an incredibly team-friendly deal. You know, if the Braves exercise all of the options, you know, the two options at the end, this is essentially a 10-year, $100 million deal. To get 10 years of a player of Michael's caliber locked up, for an average annual value of $10 million a year, essentially, is incredible value. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. That's incredible value for the team. And so I completely understand why Michael took it, and he expressed those thoughts today in his press conference. And I think he, I think he expressed himself well. But at the same time, it, it is a team-friendly deal. There's just – there's no other way to, to describe it. It's It's – it helps the team tremendously in terms of, you know, financial certainty as they head into, you know, the next three or four off seasons. They know exactly how much Michael Harris is going to make, and that helps a tremendous amount. I think, you know, it, like you said, and it is life-changing money, and, you know, the odds are if he had wanted to, um, you know, ride it out, he probably could have got more. You could probably say the same thing for Austin Riley. I think you most certainly could say the same thing for Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna. Um, but, you know, I think there's a, there's a mutual benefit when uh, you lock a guy up this early. And, you know, he, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You know, there's, there's, you know, uncertainty in the sport all the way around. You don't have to look any further than the guy like Mike Soroka, you know, to see that something freak can happen. So, you know, you know, I just think it's a good move for both. I mean, um, Harris is 
but you know he's going to be right there in the rookie of the year um, conversation if he's not if he's not the leader and and the eventual winner. Um, he looks like he's going to be a fixture of this Braves team going forward. You know, it's just a you know it's a it was just a I, I thought it was just a shrewd move by um, front office, and I mean we really shouldn't be surprised. You know, it was because uh, uh, they've shown you know that this is they're not about just winning this season. They're trying to they're trying to win for many more seasons to come. So. Man, what a season for Michael Harris! Uh, you know, I mean, he come in this, he come in. Uh, you know, he um, played well in the spring. Was dropped from the roster. You know, went to Mississippi, played well there. You know, I'll be honest. You know, the season started. I didn't. I didn't think. I didn't think we would see Michael Harris in the major league level this year. And if we did, I thought it would be late in the season. Um, you know, and probably after he had some um, plate appearances at for Gwinnett. You know, for him to come up at the end of the May, end of May, and they absolutely needed him at that point. Uh, but for him to come up at the end of May, solidify the outfield defense, and to put up the offensive numbers that he's put up—I mean, just you know, what a story! Uh, I mean, really, I mean, you know, from Double A to making your major league debut to signing a you know a, a life changing uh, contract extension. I mean, it's just you don't see that happen. You don't see those things happen that fast that often. Yeah, and I think Michael even mentioned that today in his press conference saying, you know, life happens fast. I mean, you know, he was – we were talking about a 2023 debut for him almost certainly. I mean, he just got to A earlier this year, and, I mean, he was crushing A, and that's a big part of why they called him up. But, you know, uh, there was a – I'm sure you remember, Chris, but there was a push in spring training to – you know, he was doing so well and looked so ready and was so mature and composed in spring training that, you know, Snit mentioned a few times how much he liked the kid and how much he is trying to talk Alex into letting him take him to, you know, opening day with him. And it was very clear just listening to coaches and the GM talk that he was going to be ready sooner than what most prospects are ready. Most, you know, most prospects obviously go, they go to a double A and then, you know, after they show they can dominate that level, they go to triple A and then, then you get called up. That's kind of the normal path. And Michael decided that he didn't really want much of triple A. And so he just crushed double A to the point where the Braves, and, you know, we do need to, we do need to mention that the, the needs of the big league team played a role in this, right? If, if the Braves had had a, you know, an all-star level center fielder playing well this year, then obviously this never happens. So opportunity is a big part of success, but you know, once you get that opportunity, you have to take advantage and that's what he's done. He's completely changed the, he's completely changed the outfield defense from the moment he arrived. He allowed Duvall to go to left. He allowed Acuna to stay in, in right, which I think is a, a big deal with his recovery and you know he's just solidified probably the most important or you know maybe this the second most important defensive position on the field um and then you know that's not even taking into account his offense i mean he's been he's been unbelievable offensively i i i'm stunned i mean he's got a 126 wrc plus as we sit here today and that's you know that's almost 300 plate appearances in so He's done more than held his own. I mean, he's he's contributed at a high level. Twelve home runs. You know, there's some red flags, of course. You know, we we've talked about it before, but you know, we want to see him walk more. 
he's got one of the lowest walk rates in all of baseball. Um, if you look at all the qualifiers, so you definitely want to see more walks. You know, he's got a really high batting average of balls in play that's not going to sustain forever. So there's going to be some regression. He hits the ball on the ground a lot, which he's going to have to improve. But, you know, at 21, you're just hoping that the guy doesn't get dominated by big league pitching. And it's been anything but that. So huge, huge season when the Braves needed it. You know, this is also not happening when the Braves are – you know, 25 games back. This is happening in the middle of a pennant race. So it's even more impressive when, you know, when that context is as added. So, yeah, tremendous season. And he obviously deserves a contract. And if you're a Braves fan, it's hard not to be – it's hard to be anything other than extremely excited about the future of this team. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, you're right. He has been on their radar for a, a while. And, I mean, Snickers said more than once, you know, they'd, uh, he'd, they'd send him over in spring training, and he said as long as he's there, he's going to keep playing him. And, you know, that's pretty much what he did and, and until they quit sending him over there. So, um, you know, I know uh, Snicker was talking yesterday. He was just talking about that, you know, he didn't realize how fast the guy was. He didn't realize he had the arm that he did. I think the thing that's really impressed me is it just doesn't – you know, it doesn't look like the situation is is ever too big for him. You know, he's just, uh, you know, they've always they're always uh, talking about that slow heartbeat, but you know, he's always got that calm demeanor about him, and uh, you know, he's just, you know, he's been solid. I mean, I, you know, I I never would have expected uh, this kind of this level of offensive pr- uh, production from him, at least to start. You know, you knew the talent was there, but and every time, uh, you know, we'll he'll go through a little uh, a little slump here, a week there where the strikeouts kind of pile up, and you think, uh oh, here, you know, here it comes. He comes back and answers back out of it, you know, and 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 I think a lot of that's due to the approach um, at the plate, you know, his willingness to hit the ball the other way, and um, you know, and he's shown he can turn on, he can turn on and drive it too. So, it's a, uh, you know, it's just, I mean, he's like another superstar, and I, you know, and now when you look up and look at this lineup, you know, you think. Uh, it's hard to imagine it without Michael Harris, and now you're not going to have to because he's going to be he's going to be a fixture for for years to come. One notable thing come out of that press conference today, I thought it was interesting that you know Alex Alex said that uh, he told him uh, I think it was during spring training or at least during the off season he told Michael that uh, he was not trading him. Um, you know I don't know if there was some talk there out there about Matt Olson you know, during the Freddie Freeman saga, but, you know, Alex said that he let Michael know early that, you know, he was not going anywhere. Um, so that just speaks right there that, uh, they thought that they didn't, I don't know if they knew that he would be a factor this season, uh, but they knew he was going to be a factor at some point. Uh, so, you know, I thought that was, I thought that was pretty notable for a GM to say, um, especially considering, you know, they had to give up a pretty good prospect package, uh, to acquire Matt Olson. Yeah, and that's that's probably been an underrated topic that we haven't talked a lot about is, you know, how well Alex has done at knowing which prospects to keep and which prospects to trade. I mean, you know, you get lucky a little bit. Obviously, Austin Riley, according to reports at least, was was in a, a trade offer for JT Real Muto, but obviously they didn't accept it. But, you know, he, he held on to Acuna. He held on to Riley. He held on to Harris. He held on to Contreras. You know, he held on to, to Max Freed. He held on to Spencer Strider, Kyle Wright. There's plenty of points, maybe for all of those guys except Acuna. Acuna was never getting traded. But 
for all of those other guys, you know, there were different points where it would have been at least reasonable to think about trading those guys, you know, as you get approached with different deals. And, you know, if you look at the guys that have been traded away, I don't really, I can't really think of anyone maybe other than the Shea Langoliers who's really exploded. And I don't think they traded Shea because they thought he wasn't good. I think they traded Shea because Oakland wanted a centerpiece for that deal for Matt Olson and, and they wanted Shea. And, you know, that's just kind of how it goes sometimes, but yeah, Alex has done a tremendous job knowing which prospects to keep, which to trade, which to lock up early, which to wait and see. And, you know, it's just, it's set this team up for, you know, kind of unprecedented levels of success. You know, they could be, they could be a contending team for a decade plus. I mean, you don't ever see that most, you know, baseball is a very cyclical sport. Most of the time it's, it's winning and then followed by a, a spell of losing. And then you, you go back to winning and then you, you kind of tear it down and rebuild, you know, those sustained levels of success don't happen a lot, you know, unless you're the Dodgers, basically, you know, every other team really goes through these cycles and, you know, Alex has got this team set up where, I mean, they should be good for a long time. Their, their core is so young and so good and has so many years of team control now that they're going to be one of the best teams in baseball for a long time. And, you know, if, you, if you're a fan, you can't really ask for anything more from your GM but to do that. So, you know, build the statue, give them a lifetime contract. But Alex Anthopoulos has done everything that Braves fans ever could have hoped when – he came on after the, the debacle that was the the John Hart, John Coppolelli years, and it's just going to get better. So um, very exciting times. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. You know, you, we, we've talked about Michael Harris, and I'll be honest, uh, you know, I, I, over the last few weeks, it's probably not fair to Spencer Strider, but I, I've kind of just, I think a lot of the thinking's been that Harris is, you know, this rookie of the year award is going to be his to lose. And, you know, and, and not, that's not overlooking Spencer Strider. I think the Braves are going to finish one, two on, on just about every NL ballot. But, um, but you, you pointed out something in Slack the other day. Uh, and, and I think, I think it's important not to just completely overlook Spencer Strider. I mean, if, uh, you know, he had a, he had a rough start up in New York, um, the other day, but then, uh, got a couple of extra days rest, came out in the first game of this series and, you know, pretty much shut them down. Um, you know, it's like anytime, anytime he has a, a little bump in the road, he comes back and, and answers right away. But, you know, we were going through some of these numbers, and, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's ridiculous, uh, honestly, you know, I mean, you, if you, if you are a voter for the rookie of the year award and you, you pencil in Strider with what he's done so far 
And obviously there's still a uh, time, you know, a lot of things can still happen, but it, you know, you can't be ashamed for, uh, for voting for Spencer Strider. He's got 142 strikeouts. And I got to looking at this today. He's got a shot at 200, uh, depending on, you know, how many more starts he's gets the rest of the way. That's the, uh, that's a significant number. It, it just for, cause if you put it in perspective, Charlie Morton had 216 last year. Um, Mike Fulton Evich had 202 in 2018. The, and you have to go all the way back to 2009 and Javier Vasquez, who had 238 to find the next Braves pitcher that had 200 strikeouts in, in a single season. Um, you know, when you, you look, he's averaging 13 and a half uh, strikeouts per nine innings. He's got a 37% K rate and a three, and he's already been worth 3.3 F war. Um, you know, if he finishes out the way he's going, uh, I think you pointed this out to me, you know, you're a four and a half, you know, or more F war is not unreasonable. And I mean, that's, those are ridiculous numbers, especially for a guy that, uh, you know, began the season in the, in the bullpen. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's always easier for the position player to win a major reward like that, like the rookie of the year, because he's out there every day. He can impact, and Michael Harris has have made a huge impact on defense, on the bases, and all aspects. But you know, I tell you, you know, I don't think I think this Braves team would be in a lot of trouble if uh, if they didn't have Spencer Strider because when he went into the rotation, it was all all of it kind of lined up at the same time, solidified that rotation, and they got on a roll uh, at the start of June. So uh, you know, I mean, I don't. I think it's going to be interesting. I think we're going to be talking about it a lot down the stretch. But, uh, you know, who uh, who do you think it has the edge in this Rookie of the Year conversation? Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, I do think the position players probably just naturally get an advantage because, you know, you play every single day. You're kind of in the minds of voters more, right? I mean, a, a starting pitcher affects the game more than any one position player does for that game, but a, a position player obviously affects more games. So that's kind of the trade-off. And, you know, if you look at Strider, I mean, you brought it up 200 strikeouts. It's, it's very much within reach for him, but he's going to do that in less than 20 starts, you know, a full season worth of starts is 30, 31, 32 starts it is kind of full time, you know, He's going to do it if he does it. If he if they allow him to pitch all the way through September and he stays at the same level, he's going to get 200 strikeouts in less than 20 starts. And now, obviously, there's relief innings in there as well. But, you know, when you're a reliever, you're pitching, and especially him, he was pitching one inning at a time. So, you know, you're not able to really rack up the strikeout numbers as a reliever the way you can as a starter. You're just not getting that enough innings. So for him to have that kind of – those kind of numbers at less than 20 starts. I mean, it's frankly absurd. We've really never seen anything like this. I mean, I don't really remember John Smoltz's early years. If I'm being honest, I'm not quite old enough to remember what John Smoltz looked like when he first came up, but I doubt very seriously he was putting up these kind of numbers because, I mean, we, you just don't ever see these kind of numbers from a starting pitcher. I mean, a 37% strikeout rate for a starting pitcher is ridiculous. I mean, that's, those are, you see relievers with those kind of, kind of numbers, but you very rarely see a starter striking out that many guys and, and maintaining velocity so deep in the games. And, you know, I do think Michael Harris probably will have an edge just because he's an everyday player and he's the center fielder. And, you know, those are kind of ready-made star positions that are just 
super, you know, ex, you know, they're very visible. People see them every game. It's very obvious when they do well. And, you know, a starting pitcher pitches once every fifth day, and it's not quite the same amount of limelight. But if you just go by the numbers and, you know, you went over them, Spencer Strider has every bit of a case to be rookie of the year that Michael Harris does. And those guys are going to finish one, too. I mean, they've they've lapped the field in terms of any other competition. So it's just going to be – it's going to come down to those two. The, the rookie of the year race in the American League is – a lot more interesting than the race in the the National League. It's it's Strider and Harris, and then everybody else is a distant third. So it'll be one of those two guys. The other guys will finish second, or the other guy will finish second. But, you know, at their current rate, if they both just continue at the rate they do, I would not be surprised at all if Spencer Strider wins Rookie of the Year. And there will be people that are surprised. You know, maybe you're maybe this is the first time you're hearing it, but you shouldn't be surprised because Spencer Strider has been – unbelievable unbelievable and you gotta remember when the Braves put him in the rotation you know that fifth starter spot was a black hole I mean they they could not get any production from their fifth starter spot and they just kept trying different guys and different guys and every time it would just get worse and worse and they put him in that role and they haven't had to make a change since I mean that was back in May, I think I want to say he started, he got into the rotation in May and here we are in almost September and he still got it. So that should tell you all you need to know. And yeah, I, I would not be surprised at all. In fact, if I had to vote today, I would probably vote Spencer Strider one, Michael Harris two. I think I'd still go um, Harris, but like I said, you know, you can't, you can't feel, you can't feel any shame at all. If, uh, if you vote for Strider, um, it's really interesting too, because you look at this Braves team, you know, coming into the season, all we, what we really heard after that Matt Olson trade was how, how the farm system had sank and, you know, it, what few prospects they had, it was top heavy, but then to look at this way, this roster has been impacted by young players, you know, Michael Harris, Spencer Strider, even, uh, you know, now lately it's a Von Grissom coming up from double a who, who is probably more surprising than than Harris coming up from Double A? I mean, if you had told me at the beginning of the season that Von Grissom would be playing second base for this team in 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 the middle of August, I'd have said there's no way. You know, I would have I'd have gave you better odds for having Michael Harris in the outfield. And not only is he up here playing, he's gotten off to a good start. Now it's a small sample, and I'm sure there's going to be some bumps in the roads for him. Um, but you know, I think it's impressive, and and you can kind of lump. Uh, I know he was rookie rookie eligible but you can kind of bump um uh William Contreras into this con uh, in conversation you know I know there were a lot of there was a lot of angst when um you know they traded Shea Langoliers away you know Contreras got some valuable time last year but uh you know kind of kind of wilted uh, you know the weight of the um situation a little bit you know you wore down went to Gwinnett finished the year pretty good um, was on the playoff roster uh, at the end, but you know, he didn't get a whole lot of opportunities. But you know, for the you know, him, him to come up and hit the 15, 16 home runs, you know, through August, and um, you know, Travis was down a week or so ago, and uh, you know, he stepped right in, and it is like you didn't even recognize the, the drop off. I just thought, you know, the Braves have gotten a ton 
a value out of that uh, out of that system that um, you know by all counts by most uh, public measures you know wasn't supposed to be very good and um, you know I just like you said it speaks to it speaks to their uh, stay in power as a relevant fa- franchise in my opinion. Um, I actually tweeted this the other day. I or it might have been today. I get I get mixed up, but you know for for supposedly the worst farm system in baseball, they sure do keep sending up a lot of talent because, I mean, you, you mentioned Contreras, you mentioned Harris and, and Grissom, and obviously Strider is in that group as well, but also, you know, Kyle Wright hadn't done anything in his career until this season. So, you know, I know he's been up and down a lot, but he's also a product of that system. And, you know, Dylan Lee is a product of that system. And, you know, Kyle Mueller is a product of that system. And, you know, uh, Bryce Elder – you know, there's there's Freddie Tarnock just got called up and he's been really, really good in AAA. And, you know, they've just had contributor after contributor come up. It just speaks volumes about the player development system. You know, that's kind of what separates L.A., the Dodgers, from all the other big spenders is not only do they have the ability to spend big, but they have this incredible pipeline of of player development that just churns out star after star after star. And if you can do that and spend money, then you're going to be elite. And that's why the Dodgers are always elite. Well, the Braves are reaching that level with their player development. And apparently they're reaching that level with their payroll. You know, if you believe the reports about where payroll is going and you see all these contracts that are being signed, Alex talked about it today about, you know, they're signing off on more checks than they ever have before. You combine that with the, the player development side, then you really can build a dynasty. I think that's what Alex is going for. I think that's what every Braves fan, you know, dreamt about. I don't think anybody ever actually thought it would happen, but that's kind of where we are. I mean, they are just a machine churning out talent. You got to remember, this is also with international sanctions for the last three years. I mean, imagine if they had been able to sign international free agents over that same time period where the where they would be now so it's just insane the amount of talent that they've got and how much of it came from their own system and you know you add it to the payroll that's keeps going up and up and up and you could see why this franchise is probably you know behind the dodgers it's probably if you just look at overall organizational health and and trajectory you know dodgers are probably one but right behind that i don't see how it could be anybody other than the braves with the player development they have and the payroll they have, the the core of talent they have. It's, I mean, they are an elite franchise at this point. And, you know, Alex Stanthopoulos, Dana Brown, the, the scouting departments, the analytical departments, they're all, they all get credit because it's been a, you know, an organizational effort to really build this franchise into an elite major league baseball franchise. I think too we we've got it. You mentioned them there, but I think we need to go a little bit more in depth into it. Uh, you know, you and I talked uh, coming into this Miami series this past weekend. Uh, they were juggling the rotation. You know, Kyle Muller came up, made a start. Ian Anderson made a start before he went down to Gwinnett. Bryce Elder, I think, surprised everybody uh, with the start he made Sunday. You know, I think the you know, and I, I got to say, you know, I was you know, you and I talked about it. I wasn't a fan of uh, of replacing Ian Anderson with any of uh, uh, the um, 
options they had at Gwinnett because I just wasn't a hundred. I, you know, we had seen them, we'd seen them go through there, but I've got to say, you know, Kyle Muller looked like a different pitcher. Uh, you know, he was in the strike zone all day, came out, I think after just 74 pitches, I think, you know, I think he could have gave him another inning. Um, you know, it was interesting. It was fun. And I know that's not the best Marlins lineup that you can, you can have, but you know, you saw, progress i think from what we saw from those guys at the beginning of the season you know bryce elder goes out and gets 10 strikeout um you know and uh and and gives them seven innings that they absolutely needed coming into this uh you know coming into this big series against new york uh so you know i i come out of that series now suddenly thinking hey maybe they have some options now you know if if jake Rizzi struggles and ian's still not completely um you know uh, uh fixed uh down there in a week or two you know uh, maybe you can bring a Kyle Muller back up here or, or a, a Bryce Elder and they can give you in. And so, you know, I do think you, I th- you hit on it. I think you have to acknowledge um, their player development and how they've, how they've made progress. And it, it seems like now they're starting to, you're starting to see that a lot more with a lot of, a lot of guys. And, um, you know, like I said, it's a good it's a good position to be in. They've had a lot of graduations and naturally, you know, your minor league system's going to going to sink in the in the rankings. But, um, you know, overall, though, I, I think uh, I think they're pretty happy with what they've got. And I thought they had a really strong draft. And I think you're going to now that they're back in the international game, too. I think you're going to see those that minor league system uh, start to get a lot more favorable reviews shortly. Yeah, and specifically, I want to give a shout out to to Kyle Mueller because you know the big knock on him was always command, right? He he just he could not throw enough strikes for any of his stuff to matter. And you know, you said it. Miami is not a good offense at all. I mean, they're one of the worst offenses of baseball. But you know, Kyle came in and he threw strikes, and that's what I wanted to see. I didn't really care so much about the results, but could he fill up the strike zone? And he threw, so like you said, he threw 73 pitches, could have thrown more if they needed it, but they didn't. But out of those 73 pitches, do you know how many strikes he threw? He threw 50, he threw 51 strikes in 73 pitches, which is just absurd when you consider that was his, that was really his biggest thing. He just could not, he would, he would come up and his stuff would look great, but he'd walk, he'd walk five guys and, you know, you and I talked about this a bunch during the Ian Anderson stuff, but we weren't all that excited about seeing Kyle because the command had just never been there. And so, yes, it was a bad lineup at Miami, but I do want to shout out Kyle specifically because he came up and he filled up the strike zone, and that's exactly what we all wanted to see. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You know, one thing we talk all about these young players and, um, uh, you know, you can kind of see the picture, the puzzle uh, coming together now. Uh, you know, the first, uh, obviously, the first dominoes were Ronald Acuna's extension and Ozzy Albee's extension. But now, you know, in just this season, they traded for Matt Olson and uh, then locked him up long term. We saw it with Austin Riley. Now we've got Michael Harris as well. 
um, you know, that's a that's a legit core right there. Uh, that's a core group there. And that's not even mentioning guys like William Contreras, you know, Von Grissom, Spencer Strider, Kyle Wright, uh, Max Freed, who could also join this group as well. Um, but, you know, I mean, it just means it, I think it means a ton when you can you get those you get those guys coming up. And like you said, you touched on it earlier. You're able to keep them. You're able to, um, you know, to um, uh, add them to the puzzle. There's no more question marks there. And you're, you know, it changes your whole off uh, off season outlook because now you're going in. You're just trying to uh, shore up areas. You know, you're not going. Um, you're not going in and having to completely remake your roster. And I mean, that's to me when you look at rebuilds and. Um, you know, the Braves, it was a painful rebuild, uh, but obviously it wasn't like what we've seen. You know, Baltimore starting to to reap some benefits from it. Uh, but, you know, it, I don't think it was it took them longer to get there. Same thing you could be said about Houston. Uh, but what you're seeing, the Braves, the Braves are coming out of this now. Um, I think the new stadium plays certainly plays a part in it. When, you know, catching lightning in a bottle and winning a World Series certainly helped as well. But now the payroll starting – to um to come along at the at the at the time that it absolutely needed to and uh, you know there's a, I don't know what's going to happen this season uh you know I, this is a good Braves team that may not win the division but that you know that's just it's not going to to me it's it, that's irrelevant <clears throat> it's a postseason team anything can happen when you get to the postseason um, but this Braves team's like you said this Braves roster is going to be good and it's going to be good for a lot of years coming it is there's no doubt and. You know, I always think back to the kind of the teams that the Braves were trying to model when they started their rebuild. You know, the Cubs tore it all down and then won the World Series in 2016 with a bunch of core position players. But, you know, they couldn't lock up Bryant. They couldn't lock up Rizzo. They couldn't lock up Baez. And then you have the Houston Astros the next year. Same thing, tore it all down, won the World Series with a bunch of core position players and some help from sign stealing, apparently, but still had a core of position players. But you know, they couldn't lock up Correa. They couldn't lock up Springer. Those guys eventually left. And then the next year, the Red Sox did the same thing. They tore it all down. They built it back up with a bunch of position players. But, you know, you look at them now. They couldn't lock up Betts. They're going to lose Xander. You know, they haven't locked up Devers yet. You know, and that's the that's that's the trend that the Braves have kicked, right? They, they did the exact same thing. They built, you know, this incredible core of position players, won a World Series, but the difference is they've locked all their guys up. They've got Acuna locked up. They've got Ozzy locked up. they got Riley locked up. they got Olsen locked up. they got Michael Harris locked up. I mean, you know, it's all of those teams' success and, you know, none of their failures. They've been able to do both. And, you know, that's that's when you know you're you're in a really good spot when you have core position players – and position players specifically, you know, pitchers are very tricky. You know, we'll talk about this more when we get into the Max Fried extension or, or potential extension. But, you know, locking up pitchers is a whole different uh, can of worms than, than locking up position players just because, you know, the age, they age very differently. You know, position players have a pretty consistent career arc, whereas pitchers can just expire out of nowhere. I mean, just just randomly. And so getting your, your core position players locked up is a really, really big deal. And, you know, the Braves are just set up for years to come. I mean, you said it. And this next offseason is a great example. I mean, the Braves have to figure out shortstop, but 
other than that, it's pretty much all pitching that they have to worry about in the offseason. You know, they've got to figure out what they're going to do with Dansby. But, you know, after that, it's it's a lot of pitching questions. They're not even a lot, you know, just a, a few pitching questions. They really they're just really set up so well. And so, yeah, it's exciting. There's I like I said earlier, I don't know other than the Dodgers. I don't know if there's a franchise in a better place in terms of long term outlook than the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, and I mean that's and I think uh but I think that's uh it's easier easy to get overlooked again, you know. I mean, um I don't know what's gonna happen tonight and you don't know what's gonna happen the rest of the season, but this team's twenty six games over five hundred. Uh and they were under five hundred for the first two months. Uh it's unreal how good they've played. Um there are some questions, you know, there's some other uh, um opportunities for, you know, to lock some guys up. Max Freed's obviously one of the the first that comes to mind. It is a little different with pitching. You know, Kyle Wright's made a, a huge turnaround, uh, but I think, you know, he's going to – they're going to – I think they need to see him pitch this well again probably before you even uh, consider an extension or start talking that there. Um, you know, dating back, you know, we were talking, uh, you know, the extension stuff really started last year. You remember when they, um, they locked up uh, – they got uh, Charlie Morton on a, uh, an extension that also includes an option for next year. And then uh, same thing with Travis Darno. you know, so it is, it is a trend. Um, you know, I like how aggressive they've been with this. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really, um, you know, it, it, I think to me, it's a blueprint. I think if you're a rebuilding club out here, uh, then this is the, this is the franchise that you want to copy the way the Braves have gone about this. They've locked up their good young players. They've added, uh, you know, good, good veterans and and people like Charlie Morton and Travis Darno. And, um, you know, they had a, a nice solid manager that, uh, you know, the players love playing for. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's the formula that's worked and, um, you know, it's, it's been fun to watch, um, you know, talking about free, <clears throat> you, um, you think, uh, there's possibility that an extension might come, um, you know, obviously once they get into that last year of, um, of team control, uh, you know, the, the odds go way down. That's why I'm not even mentioning Dansby here because Dansby so close to free agency there. Uh, you know, I would be, I would be floored if, uh, if they were, there was an extension reached at, at this later juncture. Yeah. Uh, Dansby's not going to sign an extension when he's a month away from being a free agent. That would be that would be silly, quite honestly. So I don't think he's going to sign an extension. But I do think there's a decent chance. Well, I say that I think they will explore a, an extension with Max. Um, you know, he's I think he's a free agent. I think he's got two more years. I think he's got next year. I think he's got 2023 and 2024 under team control. I, I don't actually have his stuff in front of me. Yeah. So he's got, he's got two years left before he's a free agent and really, so, you know, kind of what you were talking about, if you want to have it done, you don't really want to go into that last year, kind of what they ran into with Freeman. So they really have kind of, you know, a, another year to get a deal done with Max. And I do think they'll try, um, like I said earlier, extending pitchers is, is so much different than extending position players just because there's just so much more risk. And, you know, Max is an older guy. He, he kind of got a later start just because he, he had some arm trouble in the minors and spent a long time in the minors. It took him a while to kind of get his career going. And so, you know, when he gets to 
when he gets to free agency, I think he's going to be 30 or 31. Um, and so, you know, that's going to affect the price in terms of what you're going to offer in an extension. But, you know, the Braves don't have a ton of high risk deals, you know, on their books. Once you get past the Ozuna deal, which obviously hasn't worked out, but, you know, the Acuna deal is so team friendly. The Aussie deal is crazy team friendly. Harris just signed a team friendly deal. Even Austin Riley, you know, it's a, it's obviously 10 years and 200 plus million, but believe it or not, that's also a team friendly deal just because of what position players are typically making that are as good as him. So, you know, they don't have a ton of high risk uh, in their kind of in their payroll sheet. So they could, they could probably justify giving Max a riskier deal just because they don't have a lot of risk tied up into their, their, their payroll. Um, so I think they'll try. I don't know. I don't know if they'll ever be able to agree on a number, but you know, you, you have to try because you don't, you, you don't really get to sign or trade for aces all that often. And, you know, Max is, Max started out the year so well and he's kind of slowed down a little bit. He obviously is on the concussion aisle right now, but he is the Braves ace. I mean, he's the Braves number one starter. You know, if the playoffs started, you know, you know, next week or whatever, then as long as he's healthy, Max would, Max would pitch game one. So, you know, he's your guy. And I do think you have to at least make an attempt to an aggressive attempt to sign him. I think you do that knowing that there's more risk probably in doing that than there have been or there has been in any of the deals you've done so far. And you're just kind of okay with that. And, you know, you need pitching, you need good pitching and you need great pitching, especially when you get into the postseason. and you can't always go and acquire pitching when you need it. So, you know, it's good to have some already, you know, on the, on the farm, so to speak. So I do, I do think they'll try. Um, I don't know if they'll be successful. And I don't know how aggressive they'll be just because it's, you know, it's a pitcher, but I think they'll try. And if, you know, they could announce one tomorrow and it really wouldn't shock me to be honest. I mean, that's just kind of where we are with these things. The next one won't surprise me nearly as much as this one did. Um, you know, I could see Contreras being a guy that gets locked up. I could see, you know, Kyle Wright maybe signing one of these kind of really early team friendly deals strider, but yeah, you know, Max Freed is definitely the the big name once you get past shortstop. Obviously, the Braves have to figure out shortstop, but, you know, once they figure out what they're doing there, then all the attention turns to Max Freed. What are, you know, what's the plan? What what are we doing with Max Freed? Are we going to try to lock him up? Um, are we going to dare let him get to free agency? That's the – after shortstop gets handled, all eyes turn to Max. Before we wrap this thing up, uh, I think it's also worth mentioning that uh, there was a pretty another pretty significant story uh, that would have been the the headline uh, Tuesday, and that was obviously Mike, Mike Soroka's return uh, to the mound, uh, making a rehab start for Rome. You know, I'm gonna tell you, you know, I, the results were outstanding. What was like uh, nine strikeouts, uh, you know, or something? It was, it was ridiculous. It looked like he was gonna strike out every guy he faced. But two things surprised me. Number one, I was surprised that uh, his road back started at Rome. I thought we'd see at least a, a start or two at the FCL level, and then I was started uh, surprised that he threw 45 pitches. Um, he may be further along. I think than than what we were, you know, what we were thinking. It's um, <clears throat> you know, I don't know. It's a, uh, uh, you know, I, it's still too early 
to count on anything from him. You don't know what the Braves' plans are for him. You know, I don't know if we're going to see him uh, in a meaningful spot. But, you know, if he can build on that debut the other day, you know, I don't know that I don't know that we won't, you know. So um, I thought he looked pretty good. You know, it was surprising. It was good. More than anything, it was good to see him back out there uh, because, you know, he's just been his uh, <clears throat> his last two years have just been tragic you know in a lot of ways for a guy that was so promising and uh you know and arguably was the the Braves ace at the time um so you know what do you think of Soroka's uh return yeah that was incredible I was I was following along along with everybody else on Twitter and it just seemed like every two minutes somebody was tweeting that he just struck out somebody else I think he's I think you said I think he struck out nine eight or nine guys in four innings so you know, Mike was never really a huge strikeout guy, but obviously he's facing, you know, you know, lower A hitters that have never seen any kind of breaking pitches like Mike throws. So, but it was great to see, just seeing him on a mound. I mean, I didn't really care what the result was, honestly. Just seeing him pitch healthy on a mound was amazing to see. It's been a, and it's been an incredible, incredibly long road. It was, I think it was July or August of 2020 that he, ruptured the Achilles and so we're you know we're two years two plus years since he's been able to pitch and obviously he, he re-injured re-injured it or tore the same Achilles you know not long after that so it was it was incredible to see I, I'm very interested to see what they do with Mike because and this is going to sound weird and, and it may be off base but you almost are playing with house money with Mike in a way because the Braves aren't really depending on him for anything. You know, once he kind of tore his Achilles the second time, I think there are a lot of people that just kind of said, you know, that's a tragic, you know, uh, you know, tragedy. And, you know, we don't really know what we're ever going to get from Mike again. And so in, in some ways you're kind of playing with house money with Mike this year, you know, that I, I actually wouldn't be shocked if, you know, like you said, he ended up starting at a higher level than we thought he would. He ended up throwing more pitches in that first outing than we thought he would. I wouldn't be that surprised if they just said, as long as you feel good, we're going to keep pushing you. And, you know, and, you know, as long as your body is responding well to it, then we're going to let you pitch. And, you know, I'm sure Mike wants to get back as fast as possible. I'm sure he wants to be smart about it, but I really wouldn't be that surprised if the Braves just let Mike in his body kind of tell them what the next move is. And, you know, obviously if he at any point feels any sort of pain or any sort of, you know, any sort of setback, they'll obviously shut it all down super quick. But, you know, I, I think the Braves do want to see what Mike can do the rest of the year, even if he only ever gets as high as triple a, because, you know, the Braves have to make a financial decision on Mike coming this off season, you know, they, He's because he got hurt at the major league level, you know, he's been on the IL this whole time, but he's been accruing service time. I mean, when you're on the major league IL, you're still accruing service time. And so he's already in arbitration. And so the Braves have real money that they have to pay him if they want to keep him on the roster next year. And so, you know, it's important, I think, for them to see what he's got and, you know, how, how close he is to being the guy he was. And I mean, they couldn't have drawn up a better start for his first outing than what they got, you know, last night. Was it last night? Yeah, last night. Um, so, you know, it was tremendous to see. No, it was – yeah, it was last night. Yeah, that's right, Tuesday. Um, so, yeah, it was tremendous to see. It was so much fun to watch him pitch again. 
he's such a good guy. Everybody who has ever known him or talked to him will tell you he's just the greatest guy in the world. If there's anybody who the universe owes, you know, 15 years of clean health, it's Mike Soroka. I mean, I, I don't really care how good of a pitcher he is. I just want him to stay healthy and, and be able to pitch in the big leagues and live his dream. So it was amazing to see. And I'm very, very interested to see how aggressive they are with him. As long as he feels good um, to see how far he can get up the ladder before the season's over. Yeah. And the velocity was good. And, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting. He said after the, after the game, he, he told the the reporters and there was a, a ton of, of, of media up in, uh, in Rome, uh, for that game. But, you know, he told them all that the, the sinker I think was better than it's ever been, <laughs> you know, which is a, a heck of a, um, a statement, honestly. So, uh, excited for him. Uh, I'd love to see him back in Atlanta at some point this season. Uh, but you know, uh, if he's, if he's healthy, I mean, that's another, you know, that's another huge, um, a potentially huge addition uh, for next year's next year's roster rotation. Um, so, you know, it's always going to be day by day with his health uh, until he's he's further out from that injury. But, you know, just uh, like you said, just uh, he's the definition of an X factor right now. Uh, you know, I don't know if it'll be for this season or but definitely, you know, he could be for next. Um, you got anything else you want to? discuss uh talk about here or i think we're about about ready to wrap this thing up no uh looks like the looks like it's going to be a loss tonight i I think it i stopped watching once we started recording but i just turned on the the game real quick looks like it's 6-1 in the in the seventh so it looks like it's going to be a loss tonight but the braves won eight in a row so you know and they had max scherzer going against them tonight so you can't really be too upset about that a big game tomorrow against DeGrom, you know, in a four-game series, when you win the first two games, as long as you pick up one of those last two, then you don't lose all the, the, the ground that you made up. But if you lose that last – if you lose the last two, then obviously you lost all the ground that you made up in those first two. So if the Braves can find some way to squeak out a win against DeGrom tomorrow, they will have cut a pretty good chunk of games out of this deficit. If, if they don't, if they lose tomorrow, then – the, the standings are exactly where they were when the series started. So it is a huge game. I think Max is going to pitch tomorrow. I, they're I supposed to find out. Yeah, they're supposed to announce after the game tonight. Um, looks like it's either going to be Max or, or Kyle, uh, Kyle Wright. So, so we'll find out shortly. And, uh, you know, another huge, uh, it's overlooked, but, you know, it doesn't get any easier. I mean, the Astros are, Ast- Houston Astros coming in for three games this weekend, uh, World Series uh, rematch. You know, they're uh, once again leading the AL West, one of the better teams in the American League. So, you know, it doesn't get any easier. It's going to be a, a challenging homestand uh, the rest of the way for sure. Yep. And the Mets are going on the road. The Mets are on a – they just started a long road trip. I think they go to Philly. They go to Philly for four. I think they have one of those Saturday doubleheaders that the Braves had the last two weekends on Saturday. And Philly misses both DeGrom and Scherzer. So Philly can do some damage against the Mets because DeGrom and Scherzer are obviously pitching in the last two games of this series. So Phillies, the Phillies won't see either one of those guys. So if the Phillies want to handle business up in Philadelphia this weekend, that would be great. And then I think the Mets go to the Yankees for two more games. So, you know, both teams are kind of in a, in a tough stretch right now when it comes to schedule. But if the Braves can find some way to get a game against DeGrom tomorrow, it would really help a lot. Then you're – you know, you're only three and a half games out. You still got a month left. You still got three games with the Mets left. You know, it's a whole different ball game if you're 
if you leave the series three and a half games versus if you lose tomorrow, then you're, then it's still at five and a half. So big game tomorrow. Can't wait to watch it. Hope, hope it's either Max or Kyle. Hope, hope either one, whoever it is comes back. I know they've both been out a couple of days, a couple extra days. So big game tomorrow, but yeah, Braves have been playing well. They huge extension announced. So if you're a Braves fan, you know, even with this loss tonight, you, you need to be excited. There's a lot of, a lot of great stuff happening with your favorite team these days. All right, I think that's going to do it for us. Um, keep uh, keep um, subscribed to the podcast. We got a, we're churning out uh, a lot of podcasts, um, a lot of content for each week. Uh, I know uh, Sean and uh, Scott did a big emergency podcast uh, last night over the uh, for the Michael Harris uh, signing. So uh, you know, stay tuned in. Leave us a, a rating and review. Uh, always subscribe. That way you never miss an episode. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.